0: Hello everyone, my name is Daniel and this is the Engineering Success Podcast Episode 10. Now I know I said on the last episode that we had worked ourselves into weekly episodes, so you also notice that it's been two weeks since the last time I upso- uploaded an episode, so I would just like to first come out and say, sorry. Sorry. I was on vacation last week. I got to go visit some of my family up in Seattle and, uh, the combination of that and all the work related things and trying to get ahead, uh, before missing four days of, um, four days in a row, two days of work, but being out of town for four days, um, just had to get a bunch of work stuff done and, and other personal things taken care of. So, uh, the podcast kind of Uh, fell on the back burner last week. So apologies for that. Um, And then also, we don't have an interview this week. Uh, I had one lined up, but we had some personal things come up. So no interview this week, but we have some of our recurring segments coming up. So I'm sure that you'll find that enjoyable as usual. Also, as usual, if you want to support the podcast, uh, contributing $5 a month gets you a one-time shout-out on the first episode of each month and contributing to the podcast at $10 a month gets you a shout out at every single episode of the podcast. Yep. That's, that was the option. So again, you can support the podcast by doing that on the anchor web webpage. You just go to my homepage and there's an opportunity for you to support. Also, if you want to write into the podcast, you want to write in your own questions to be answered. You can email them to me at engring.success@gmail.com. at gmail.com Or there's an option on my main page where you can actually record a message to me, and you can send in your questions that way. So those are a couple ways you can reach out to me. And then beyond financial things, obviously, I mean, I'm not doing this for the money. Just to, you know, just putting that out there. But uh, if you want to support the podcast, make sure you share it with somebody else that you might think might find it beneficial, uh, because that's what this is about. It's about helping people grow their careers and. Also, it's just an opportunity for me to grow my own career and, and develop as a speaker and as a and, and learn myself. I learn a lot from reading all the questions and, and researching the answers to the questions. So that's the main priority here. But, um, but yeah, uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can give it five stars on Apple Music. If you listen on Apple, you can share the podcast with others. You can repost it on your social media. If you do, I'll make sure to give you... Uh, thank you for that and uh, yeah go ahead and interact with the podcast on twitter i made an instagram page e n g r i n g success i believe is the instagram page but you should be able to find it if you search it up so follow me on instagram follow me on twitter give me five stars on apple podcasts and share it with your friends so all right so again no interview this week we hope to have one lined up for next week i'm working on it But in the meantime, let's go into our favorite recurring segment, the quit your job segment. All right, here's a question. So I've preemptively given you my answer. It's like Jeopardy. So the question is, is when is it too early to start applying to new jobs? And it's funny because my my first inclination is, man, if you're asking, then maybe it's time to apply for new jobs. So let's see what the question asker goes on to say. They say, I, like many others here, Found myself graduating in the midst of the pandemic. Yeah, I am so sorry but that one. poor one out for you on that. Now, after a year of desperation, I was finally able to land an offer at a small company and started working back in March this year. Congrats. Now, while I am thankful for the ability to even have a job in the first place, I had to move to an expensive area in very short notice and spend a lot of money to get myself settled. My company doesn't offer anywhere near a high enough salary to afford the cost of living in the area, 60% of the average salary in the area, and the pay increase my boss promised during initial interviews isn't turning out to be what I had hoped. I'm tired of struggling for money, I had to do food delivery on the side to even afford the ridiculous rent around here, 80% of my take home, wow, and I'm burnt out. Student loans are going into repayment in the next couple months, and I don't know if I can afford the monthly payments. I want to find a new job, but I've only been working at my company for five months, and I'm worried if I leave it'll be too soon. This is my first non-internship job, and I always see people recommend staying at least one to two years to gain experience. How early is too early to start looking for a new job? Will it look bad to a new company that I've only been working here for five months?" So. I found this question on Reddit and I responded to this person and I basically said, my, my, my take on this is that this, you've described very legitimate reasons to leave your current employer. It's not compensating you according to what is expected for the area. You were promised raises and you didn't receive them and you're burnt out and you had to do food delivery on the side like nobody with an engineer no no engineer should have to be in that situation where they're doing food delivery on the side just to afford rent in the city they're in though then again i've um heard stories of engineers for a company similarly named to pair where they've <laughs> the, the engineers have been homeless or living in fifth wheels or trailers in the parking lot of their headquarters, but that's a whole other whole other story. The point is that you've described some very legitimate reasons to start looking for a new job. And I personally think that, again, it's not quit your job, but I definitely think you should start looking for a better job. If you want to stay in that area, if you like that area, start looking for jobs that pay you competitively in that area. If you don't like that area, then start applying for jobs in an area where you would like to live and that would pay you according to what you deserve to be paid. I have multiple friends that have started jobs and then it wasn't for them and then they left within five months and a year. And they've ended up at fantastic companies um, and, and they left jobs that, that paid well, <laughs> and, but the, the work-life culture wasn't right. So, so it's never never too early in your career to leave a first job that is not a good fit for you you've been there for five months that's more than enough time for you to realize personally for yourself that that's not a good fit for you you've acknowledged that you've said it so it's time to start looking for a better fit so i encourage you to do so and if people ask about it whenever they're interviewing you i know you said you don't want to be viewed as a job hopper and you talked about that later but if you explain the reasons why you're looking for a new job any reasonable employer would look at that and say oh yeah and also it would kind of preemptively kind of get a little bit of the salary conversation out of the way because you're like hey they're paying me 60 percent of the average salary and that's just not acceptable i want to be paid at least the average salary and that can actually kind of get you a head start on those conversations as well so it might end up even being a good thing for you to help with your salary negotiations so uh, again, don't quit your job. Okay, actually, yeah, eventually quit your job is the message here. Start applying for new jobs is not too early. And I hope that you do that and I hope that you follow up and, and let us all know how that went for you. All right. The next section is positive career news. So this was a post that somebody posted on the engineering students tub Reddit and they basically, what it's titled yearly advice for this sub, so this subreddit, and this person basically accumulates, I guess, their personal yearly advice that they want to give to engineering students, and, and they post it, sorry for the yawns, and they post it, on this subreddit so I thought it would be really helpful and some I, I read through it and I thought that there was some good advice points so I thought I would read off the points and maybe react to a couple of the ones that I liked or I, I disagreed with so they go yeah. on to say as the new school year approaches I offer the following unsolicited advice to the new and continuing students well guess what I also like to offer unsolicited advice so I already like this person alright one Go to class and sit where you can see and hear. This is an interesting problem implies that there, oh, this is an interesting problem implies there's a good chance it will be on an exam. So if the professor says, hey, this is an interesting problem, there's a good chance it will be on the exam. Ask questions, do not be afraid. Go to office hours. Define yourself more than just being the smart kid that's good at math and science. That That is everyone you are in class with now. I can definitely identify with that. I. I've talked earlier about in the podcast about how I kind of tried to wing my way through math in college, and I very quickly learned that that's just not possible. Five, engineering in the U.S. has a 30% graduation rate. You graduate or you don't, per ABET, the Chronicle, and the National Science Foundation. Those that come in as freshman engineering students, one in three graduate. Largest transfer rate is during freshman year, and making it to junior year puts graduation rate 75% and up. Oh, interesting. Um... Six, engineering is not soldering, machining, pipetting, etc. Engineering is a methodology to approach real-world problems. I agree. That's why a lot of companies hire engineers to do more than just typical engineering design. They want them to solve their problems. Seven, work on your interpersonal skills. Make friends, network, join clubs and professional societies. Being able to interact with people is a major part of engineering. The antisocial whiz kid with terrible hygiene is the exception, not the norm. I think that that's a little harsh, but... Realistic that you do need to work on your interpersonal skills. Uh, better, better communicators make better engineers. That's just a fact. And I didn't get my job without networking, and I didn't get my job without joining clubs and professional societies. Those things are the reason why I was able to get the job that I have now. Get involved with clubs, robotics, SAE, Concrete Canoe for projects. Having a professor oversee your project makes it much more valuable than doing something in your basement alone, where you are likely learning bad skills. I'm gonna disagree a little bit here. I agree that you definitely need to get involved in cl- with clubs for projects and having a professor oversee your project is great, though every, you know, every single university is a little bit different and some professors are a little more willing to oversee your project or at least review your project and give you feedback and then you can put that on your resume that you got feedback. So, And, and I would say that I would caution the belief that doing a project in your basement alone will result in bad skill development. I, for example, my little brother is teaching himself how to model in CAD, and he's doing 3D printing, and he's in high school, and he is also learning how to work a CNC machine, and he's in high school, and I would not say that he's learning bad skills, I would say that he's learning some super valuable skills, learning how to 3D model, learning how to run a CNC machine, things that I wouldn't have been doing going into my freshman year of high school, a freshman year of college, and he is in his junior year of high school, so um, I, I would say that pursuing side projects is better than not pursuing any, pursuing any projects at all. So, but definitely valuable to get your professor's input. Nine, socialize, see networking, enjoy yourself. Again, the kid spending all of his free time learning Python or building something alone in his room will actually make himself miserable, not employable. If you enjoy learning Python or building something in your room, that can be enjoyable. Um, and yeah, definitely socialize in and enjoy yourself. You know, college is four or five, seven, 12 years of your life that you ideally don't have to go back to unless you want to prefer, prefer, pursue a graduate degree. And even then it's not the same. So undergraduate engineering und- undergraduate college in general is a fun time. It's supposed to be a good time. It's a very formative time. And, and I learned a lot of values. I learned a lot of things in my engineering classes, but I also learned a lot more things, maybe not as many things that are related to my degree, but I learned a lot of things that have been applicable to my career just by socializing and doing things with people in college. So definitely make sure you get some of that college experience. I get it, and I say this, I've said this in the past that college is an investment, and it should be treated that way, but part of that investment is in the social experience and the lessons you learn from those social experiences. So don't discount those things. Ten, don't lie to yourself. When you get all C's or worse, don't claim the professor is terrible. Don't complain about the professor hates you. He or she probably doesn't know your name. Again, debatable on which university you attended. All my professors knew my name. Think about how much you go out on weekends, how much you play video games, and how much time you spend screwing off on Reddit. Okay. You just said to be social. And also, I am screwing off on Reddit right now. So, no, I get it. I get it. Yes. Yes there there does need to be personal accountability and yes the the professor's established pretty early on in college that like in your classes like hey 3 hours out of class for 3 hours in uh, for, for for every 1 hour 3 hours out of class for every 1 hour in and yes we do need to have personal accountability for our grades but when i i, I this this the way you've worded this kind of implies that like you can't do those social things and then get better than C's. You can't like, there's definitely a balance for sure. Um, but again, I went out on weekends. I even went out on some weeknights. Don't tell my parents. They're probably listening to this episode, but yeah, I went out on some weeknights and I, but I had a good time and I, I got good grades, but yeah. And if there was a week where I, I, I never really put myself in a position where, because of my social life, I was directly impacting my ability to complete my schoolwork or study for an exam. But yeah, I guess I could've studied a little bit longer or did a couple more problems sometimes. But um, yeah, I I, I, I get it, yeah. I guess you can not lie to yourself and holding accountability, Again, I, I guess it's kind of counterintuitive kind of to the other things that have been said. 11, you can overcome poor grades, but it's very hard. Yes, uh, you know, shoot for that 3.0, 3.25, 3.5, those marks. And if you're above those marks, then you're um, putting yourself. You, you can pick which one you're targeting for, but definitely one of those three, um, and you're, you'll be a good candidate for a job. And then 12, hard work can overcome deficiencies and talent. Plenty of smart students don't do well because they don't put in the effort. Yeah, I'd also like to add to this that hard work and organization and dedication can overcome deficiencies in talent. Plenty of super organized students that might not necessarily be as whiz kid as others will do much better than those quote unquote whiz kids, those naturally bright people, because they're more organized, they study more effectively, and they do a better job of prioritizing their time when doing homework and prepping for exams. Um, instead of trying to delve into the deep intricacies of this one little thing they they're able to have an organized study method and they do really well and then they go on to say and finally remember the following look to your left now to your right statistically if you graduate the people sitting next to you won't and i get that statistic but i will say that for me looking to my left and looking to my right um it is because of the people that sat to my left and my right that i was able to get through my engineering program and we graduated together, and I'm really proud of that. So yeah, again, uh, generally good advice. Uh, I got a little hung up on a couple little things there, but um, definitely go to office hours, ask questions, go to class, um, good advice there on uh, reading your professors and how they how they build their problems for their exams, um, being realistic about what the graduation rate is. You gotta work hard, you gotta be dedicated, you gotta be organized. Um, take accountability if you don't do well. It's not always a professor's fault, though sometimes it is. Um, But overall, pretty good advice, and uh, I'm hearing it in my voice. I'm going to take a water break, and I'll be right back with the career questions side of the podcast. So, thanks. All right, well, I hope you got an ad there. I actually ran out of memory on my memory card So, if you're watching the video episode of the podcast, you might have gotten a video cut out there, but uh, you still have the audio, and that's what's the most important thing anyways. So, anyways, apologies for that, but uh, we're going to keep on rolling with the career question segment of the podcast. Before I get into that, though, I want to give a quick shout-out to Luka Doncic for being amazing. I know this is a career and engineering podcast, but... uh, right below me right here is Slovenia versus Japan. Yep. I timed my time working on the podcast to be in congruent, I guess, or in line with the Slovenian men's national team playing Japan tonight. It's 11:40 central and I am watching Slovenia versus Japan. So shout out to Luka Doncic for making the entire country of Slovenia a little bit more relevant in the Olympics. I mean, who else <laughs> I can't imagine that That I would have been watching this any other time. All right. So here's the first career question. I'm getting promoted to senior engineer and will get two engineers to manage as part of my team. I want to try to be the best manager these two ever had. What makes a good manager to you? I am in the automotive industry, if it matters. Well, I'm not. So I'm going to try to answer as somebody that's not in the automotive industry. But I... I've been fortunate to have some great managers. I currently work for a great manager. Shout out, Rachel and Tawny. Um, shout out to those folks. So what I've done is I've accumulated a couple things that they do well and other managers I've had that have done well and just general advice that I've gotten for people that want to be good managers. So just a list here. First one is ask them. Ask your employees, hey, what makes a good manager to you? You'll be surprised on the things that that they come up with and and some of those things will be things that are good and that you can implement and other things may be a little weird or non-traditional or not what you're comfortable with and in that case you can have a conversation with them about that but at least you're setting the standard from the beginning beyond that make sure your employees know that you care about them and their well-being you know we're here for work but we also have other things we want to do other parts of our life that are important so Yeah, make sure your employees understand that you recognize that and you recognize their time outside of work and how they don't live to work. They live to do other things and and that you care about them. Delegate. Don't take everything on. Become a master delegator. Learn how to check in. But most of all, learn how to trust your employees and make sure that they know that you trust them because if they know that you trust them, then they're better able to do good work for you. Have your employees' backs and stand up for them. You as the manager, you're you're responsible for the work that your team puts out. Um, so the last thing you want to do is be in a position where you're starting to throw people under the bus. So make sure that you're, you have your employees' backs. This one kind of goes in line with trusting your employees. Don't be a clock hawk. Clock hawk like the bird. Um, if your employees are getting their responsibilities taken care of, um, don't really press them about the minute they arrive and the minute they leave. If it gets to the point where they're arriving so late that they're not able to fulfill their duties, obviously have a conversation. And if they're leaving too early consistently to fulfill their duties, obviously have that conversation. But if they're getting their job done and they're getting things done, don't nickel and dime them for every single minute. Cause you know that if you're not, if you don't nickel and dime them for every single minute, then they will be more willing to, uh, Pull in if they need to work extra hours or get, to get something done or they need to stay a little bit late, they're more willing to do that and they'll do that more energetically because they know that you as their manager trust them that they're gonna get their work done and that you're not gonna press them to get extra, squeeze every extra hour out of them that you can. So uh, recognize when your employees accomplish something and, and a lot of managers just kind of uh, send a kudos to the person or some managers even send out a blast to the larger team Maybe have a conversation with your employees on what how they want to receive recognition. And if that's in line with how you want to give it, then that's a good way for you to show that you care about them. Um, this is kind of in line with asking them. This again, having conversations with your employees. Have a clear conversation about what their desires are for future career gro- growth. The worst kind of managers are the ones that, quote unquote, like their employees so much that they didn't want to lose them. And then they hampered their career growth. I I know that my managers have my back and they have my career interests in in mind. So because of that, I am very transparent with them on where I want to be and where I want to go. And that will help you out as a manager if you have that transparent conversation with your employees that you understand that that an entry-level job is not going to be their entirety of their career. Whatever job they're currently at is not necessarily going to be the entirety of their career. Um, It'll help you out because they'll know that you trust them and they have you have their back and you have their best interests in mind so they'll be more willing to work hard for you on top of that um on top of that then you'll also have a good understanding of when they might want to transition into their next role so you can plan accordingly on top of that you know support their goals to achieve those promotions so my manager she showed me how she captured all the kudos that she receives in an email folder and then she presents it in a certain way in her performance and development review, and I do that now, and I'm really thankful that she showed me that. And because of that, again, I've been able to have really candid conversations with my management and my company, and I think it's a good thing. Have regular one-on-ones with your employees. Um, Again, you only have two, so you don't necessarily have to schedule them as much, but um, regularly check in on them, talk about their career life, and also their personal life so that they, that they know that you care about them. Um, this one's in line with clock hawking. Uh, if someone has worked a long time, they've worked some overtime, they put in some late hours and they're salaried, maybe recognize it and send them home a little bit early on a Friday or give them a little bit of comp time, uh, especially if you know that they have already gotten all their other responsibilities taken care of. Even if it's less hours than the number of hours that that employee put in overtime or put in working late that week, they'll really appreciate that you took the time to recognize and give them a little bit of time back. Um, Next one is also in line with that, and trust. uh, Don't overly question your employees about personal hours or about scheduling vacations. As long as it it fits with being able to get their job done, somebody takes personal time it's personal and they'll talk to you about it if they want to don't pry into their personal details Um, I've heard people talk about that with managers and it's just a massive complaint whenever it happens Um, and also if somebody's trying to take vacation and they have the hours for it and they're going to be able to get their work responsibilities taken care of around it don't Hog them about their vacation. Um, as long as they can get, it, as long as it fits, you know, recognize that it's really important for your employees to get vacation and and don't belabor them for taking vacation. Encourage them to take vacation and take time, because then once they've taken that time, they'll be more refreshed and they'll be a better contributor when they get back. Be reasonable about questions. So, um, your your employees are probably have a lot of questions for you. So, the the thing that what I appreciate is is somebody establishing that they will answer my questions, and as long as I'm not asking the same ones over and over and over again, that they'll answer my questions, and that's kind of the line that I recommend drawing if you're a manager, as somebody that's been on the other side of that coin. This one goes along with uh, career growth. Um, connect them with as many people as you can within your organization that can help them achieve their goals. Uh, my managers done a, my managers have done a great job of doing that for me, and I really appreciate it. And it's definitely gonna help with my career growth. And I'm very thankful to them for that. Recognize that your employees are gonna make mistakes. Um, And whenever they do, stand up for them. Again, don't throw them under the bus. Nobody's perfect, Nobody's perfect. Shout out the office. Um, But yeah, uh, nobody's perfect. Stand up for your employees and recognize they're gonna make mistakes. And lastly, Continue to carry on in this desire that you have. Obviously, you wrote in Reddit. You wrote in this question about how to be a good manager. Continue keeping that mentality that you can always be a better manager and that you can be and trying to learn how to be a good manager and you will continue to be a great manager or continue to grow into being a better and better manager. So I shout out to you for reaching out about this. And I know that your employees that you're going to be supervising are fortunate to have somebody that is so intentional and cares so much about being a good manager for them so best of luck to you all right next question is getting my civil eit pigeonholing me into a career in civil my dream is to work in aerospace it's my what my degree was in and my dream career i ended up in a mechanical position doing r d for a small security company after school and after three years, my company is asking me to get an EIT so I, complete, I can complete wind loading calculations for RPE. I also still do mechanical R&D, so my position would deal with both. But for a resume career standpoint, the civil EIT and eventually PE will stand out far more than my other projects. As a hiring manager for other engineering fields, if an applicant has a civil PE, would you discard it? Would it be marginally impressive? so i'm going to focus in first on the civil eit question so regardless of what fe exam which is the exam that's required along with an engineering degree to be considered a eit engineering training regardless of what fe exam you take you are just considered an eit in engineering training It's not until after you've had experience under a licensed professional engineer in some discipline, and then you decide to take the professional engineering exam in whatever discipline, then then are you, quote unquote, pigeonholed into a PE in a specific discipline. And for all I know, I don't even know if the PE that supervises you necessarily has to have the exact same concentration that you want to pursue. Actually, maybe I should look that up uh, before I lead anybody astray. Professional engineer stamp my experience have to be same type of PE. I think so... So qualified engineers must be licensed professional engineers. So yeah, so you have to have the a qualified experience and the experience must be supervised. This is according to the National Society of Professional Engineers. And generally those that experience under those engineers must be under licensed professional engineers, but National Science NSPE doesn't really specify which branch of engineering that those people that you work under have to be in order for you to become a professional engineer so maybe maybe i'm i guess i'll have to look more i i actually started recording this podcast without looking further into that so i'm gonna look even further into that maybe you can somebody can write in and tell me i'm wrong or tell me what the actual answer is here but i believe that you just have to have a professional engineer or several professional engineers stamp off under you, and then obviously you have to work under a professional engineer. But um, yeah, um, so again, um, theoretically, if if your work is also mechanical in nature, you could theoretically take the uh, mechanical PE exam and become a mechanical PE. Yes, even though now you are in this position and you are going to get your FE, you're going to become an engineer in training. You don't have to really make that decision on what kind of professional engineer you want to be now. As long as you have the applicable experience and then you pass the requisite exam and you have the right engineers stamping for you, which, again, I don't believe it has to be necessarily the, an engineer that's a PE in the exact same discipline and the exact same sub-discipline. It might need to be the same di- discipline, but not necessarily the same sub-discipline. That, may, that would make sense. But, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be an engineer that's the exact same type of engineer as you. I don't think. At least they don't specify it very clearly on NISB. But, yeah, again, the point is is you have three years to get this experience. So um, getting your EIT, becoming a taking the FEA and getting your EIT is not going to pigeonhole you. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is you're going to have to do some research and figure out, what kind of PE you can, what what kind of PE you can be with the quote unquote uh, the certain professional engineer that's reviewing your work. Um, so, I, what kind of exams should you take to get your PE, and uh, who, whoever is supervising you, if they can stamp off for you to sign on for you. And then the other part of your question, after I completely just mumbled all the way through that, um, you said. If an applicant has a civil PE, um, would you discard it if you're a hiring manager for other engineering fields? Honestly, no. I wouldn't discard it. I would, I would, I would say, well, oh, that's interesting, um, and then I'd have an interview with you. Especially if I'm a company that doesn't necessarily need you to be a PE in another field. So you said aerospace or mechanical. If I work for a company and I don't need all my my mechanical engineers to have mechanical PEs, then I don't think it's going to be a big deal um, for me to, to hire somebody that has mechanical engineering experience. And honestly, if you're experienced in mechanical and then you take the mechanical PE, I'm sure your company might all might be able to find somebody to get you stamped off as a mechanical PE, um, unless they really, really, really want you to be a civil PE. But I mean... It's your, it's your goal. It's your career. So maybe have that conversation with them that you'll still work under the civil PE, but you really want to get your mechanical PE. Uh, and then the last question, would it be marginally impressive? Yeah, it would be impressive. Uh, P- a PE is a respected status, is respected title and it would be respected. So, well, I guess the, the main thing I wanted to get at here is that getting your civil EIT is not going to pigeonhole you. In fact, um, I took the other disciplines FE, and I am now an engineer in training, and it's not specified which discipline I am. They don't. Really, nobody really asks. Nobody really cares what 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 FE exam you took. I could have taken the civil one, and then later on I can take the mechanical engineering, HVAC, or fluid dynamics PE. the the EIT that you take doesn't imp, the, the FE exam you take doesn't de- determine the PE exam you take later on. So um, yeah, for now, I mean, you have three years, you can kind of kick this down the can, but maybe start those preliminary conversations on, Hey, well, what if I want to get this kind of PE instead? Can I do that? Um, do some research, see who, who can support you and whatever you want to do. Cause again, it's your career. You should be putting your goals first, um, and hope that they line up with the company's goals. And, um, yeah, I, I wish you the best with that. All right. Now that I've completely thoroughly confused everybody, I hope you like the sound of my voice and the sound of me talking to myself. Um, The next question is hopefully an easy one. Um, What's a good annual percent bonus of your salary for an engineer two years out of undergrad? And then they repeat. What's a good annual percent bonus of your salary for an engineer two years out of undergrad? I think that this is a it depends question. The reason why I say this is because I'm an engineer two years out of undergrad, and I've never received an annual percent bonus. It's just not part of my compensation package. Uh, I am paid a very competitive salary. I have a very competitive 401k match. I just got that back, Um, and I have other great benefits, and whenever I considered working for my company, I was not promised a bonus. I was not told there was gonna be a bonus, so I just expected there wasn't gonna be one, at least for my role. It wasn't part of my package and I just accepted that. So for me, a good annual percent bonus on my salary is zero dollars because I don't expect it. Um, But if bonuses are a important part of your compensation package and it's something that your employer or the hiring manager talked to you about whenever you hired on, then one of the things you could have done at that time is said, hey, what what kind of range of bonus should I expect so I can evaluate this offer and compare it to other compensation packages that I'm considering? And this is something that you can do with other roles, and this is even a conversation that you can have with your manager. What kind of bonuses does our company give out on a good year, on a bad year, and what can I expect? And then you'd be able to gauge that within within the context. But again, I have my company doesn't do any bonuses, and I have a friend that works for um, a large insurance company and they get like 10% bonuses annually. At, uh, so it, 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 it's really a large spectrum. There's no really good number. The, the biggest thing you can do is just figure out what the range of bonuses are from good years to bad years to help you evaluate your compensation package and then find out, Hey, Oh, this is where I landed in that place and and that may come from having a candid conversation with your manager some co-workers that you have a good relationship with hey what are they th- that have been had more time in the company like hey what kind of bonuses have we gotten during really good years what kind of bonuses have we gotten during really bad years and that'll kind of help you answer the question for yourself so I wish you the best of luck and congrats on your bonuses so all right next question internship starting on the first anxious is an understatement As the title says, I'm starting a software engineering internship on the first, and I'm nervous as all hell. In my country, opportunities are scarce if you don't have connections, which I don't. It isn't even a competitive, just really low in number, and mostly reserved to fourth and fifth years while I just finished my second. However, I managed to land an internship in this very small startup, and I'm worried I'll F it up because I'm stupid or I don't know enough about the tech stack they're using. I've been biting my nails endlessly because I want to get a work sponsor visa as soon as I graduate and I probably won't be able to do that without internships or work experience to carry me. Do you all have any advice, motivation, stories to put me out of this stress bubble? Well, first off, you're going to have internship experience because you have this internship starting on the 1st. So congrats to you. That's going to really help set you up really well for uh, getting a job and getting a work visa whenever you graduate. So congrats. Um, Along that note, Internship. This is an internship. You are a student. You finished your second year The company that hired you Looked at your resume and they probably interviewed you likely if they know what they're doing so they know that you are a student that just finished your second year and They know that you're not gonna know everything. For example, I graduated Had a whole engineering degree and it took like six months before I was really able to contribute and internship programs are not too much longer than six weeks so obviously they know that you're not going to be able to really really dig in and do a lot of contributing they know that you're there to learn and partially they're there probably to get a little bit out of you but also advertise their company to you and evaluate if you would be a good fit for the company after you graduate with that in mind. Understand that they don't expect that if they're a good company that has a good internship program They don't expect you to be a high-level contributor and know everything for the very beginning um, not just tech stack but like corporate functions and workflows are different at every single company and being able to pick that up during the just being able to pick that up alone during the time duration of your internship would be an impressive thing for you to do so that's just a little context. They're not gonna expect you to know how to do everything. Um, what they are gonna expect you to do is know how to do the things that you put on your resume, um, Apply, be, uh, have the desire to learn. So if you don't know something, do the groundwork, the necessary work on the in the background to set yourself up to, to learn those things. And, and do, give your best and keep that learning mentality that you have had as a student and that you've been cultivating as a student and combine that with a little bit of positivity and I'm sure you'll do great. That's what I did. That's the approach that I had towards my internship and other people that did that even better than me had great experiences at their internships. So first of all, congratulations to you for getting the internship. It's gonna definitely put you in a good position to have a great resume and maybe get future internships before you graduate. And then I wish you the best of luck with finishing your internship, your degree program, and eventually getting your work visa when you graduate. So. I wish you the best of luck. Congratulations. And I look forward to seeing the follow-up from this about how great your first week at your internship went. All right. And the last question for this podcast. It's titled, On Knowledge and Efficiency. I wanted to say, I do not want to offend anyone with my questions. Thank you. I only have a few doubts because I am a newbie in this life and I want to start learning. Shout out to you. For learning, when it comes to work, what difference does a graduate from an average university have compared to a prestigious university? All right. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to drink some water before I talk about this one, because I have some words to say. Does the one from the prestigious university know more or is it more effective? In the average university, they teach you. Do you know what you need? And if we compare someone who studied at a university in Mexico with someone that studied at a university in the U.S., do they teach what is necessary in the one in Mexico? So I am going to answer this one from the perspective of engineering, and I'm going to answer that last question first. The most important thing about an engineering degree is not necessarily where it was, so U.S. versus Mexico, it's where it was accredited by. So the standard that most U- U.S. companies know is called ABET now. I'm sure there's other stat uh, and uh, organizations that certify engineering programs, but the one I'm most familiar with is ABET. So, if we compare somebody who studied at an ABET accredited university in Mexico with somebody who studied at an ABET accredited university in the U.S., both of them were taught the same basic things that were mandated by, to their universities by the ABET accreditation agency. The ABET facilitates the things that need to be taught in engineering. So they're the same. Other than maybe there might be some language barriers or other barriers. So keep that in mind. But not really, because people... No, no, actually don't keep that in mind at all. They're the same. Okay, next one is, in the average university, do they teach you... Do you know what you need? So do they teach you what you need to know? Yes. In the average university... They do teach you what you need to know because they need to be able to do that to keep their accreditation. So again, a better accredited university, They will, in the average university, they'll teach you what you need to know. Does the one from the prestigious university know more or is it more effective? My opinion on this is obviously you got some great people that come out of prestigious universities. The top, the cream of the crop, they're fantastic, awesome people. And they're going to represent the university as well, and they're going to be great engineers, and they're going to be really well prepared, and they're going to be very effective, and maybe they had some great opportunities, and now they have great networking because of the prestigious university that they went to. They learned a lot, and now they have great, a great network. But... The reality is, is that a lot of really good, smart, bright engineers don't get into prestigious universities at a high school. I mean, this is what they did at a high school. So just because somebody was had a really good high school resume and then also got a little bit of luck of the draw getting into their prestigious university, or had a some other connection, or um, a lot of people just they don't have the money to afford attending a prestigious university. So just because somebody went. To a prestigious university doesn't mean that they're necessarily better than the person that didn't because you have a lot of really bright engineers that go to say state universities or other smaller private engineering programs. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail about what my high school resume was, but I was a pretty good student in high school and I didn't go to a quote-unquote prestigious engineering program, but it was, a, it was the right one for me. I got the hands-on education that I needed and And I think that I will grow into a great engineer if I necessarily go down the technical engineering path. And I was surrounded with some phenomenal people that were just absolutely brilliant and super bright. Um, I mean, plenty of them. I can name them right now, but they don't need to hear that from me because they already know. Um, But, yeah, I mean... Just be, there's there's a lot of really bright engineering students from every university, regardless of the size, the, the prestige, the location, the cost to, to attend the alumni network. Um, just because somebody went to a more prestigious university doesn't necessarily mean that they're a more effective engineer. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to get a, a very effective engineer from a prestigious university either. So... When it comes to work, what difference does a graduate from an average, uni- average university have compared to a prestigious university? Well, I, I like to joke about the the joke with Cornell University. You know, how do you know that somebody went to Cornell? They told you five minutes ago. Uh, so you know, they, that's the the joke from the office. But yeah, um, when it comes to work, what difference does an average university grad have compared to a pre- prestigious university? Maybe the prestigious university had slightly newer lab equipment, or a a really famous professor that did research, but then had TAs teaching their undergraduate students anyways. Um, and I went to a, again, not super highly ranked. I mean, it, it was ranked, um, but the rankings don't really, in my opinion, mean that much. But I went to a ranked, but not like crazy ranked engineering program, but we had new labs and we had really great access to our professors. So again, it, it, it really... You're, you're going to do a better job at evaluating somebody's competency out of school by looking at the internship experience that they have.